0: Welcome to The Unfiltered Mom. I'm Elizabeth Lewis, and alongside some of my dearest friends, we've created this show so women have a space to have unfiltered, extremely raw, and insanely real conversations. Nothing is off limits here. This space is for moms who want to talk about everything, to dive into conversations we all deeply desire to have, but fear what others may think of us. This is your invitation to pull up a seat in a judgment-free zone and have a little heart-to-heart. Now, let's get unfiltered. This is a Soul Fire production. Generational trauma. It's something we don't talk enough about. And to be honest, I didn't even know what it was until a couple of years ago when I started to do my own work to understand where I came from, to understand my mom. And part of my work that I do over at Retreat to Reclaim is helping women identify their generational trauma, work through it, and be the cycle breaker. And I do the work because my mom didn't get to. So I'm doing the work for generations before me and generations after. And I hope that other women see that and also choose that. Because in this episode, Brooke and Kanisha are talking about their own personal journeys with with generational trauma. How you know Brooke shares her story and also the importance of showing our kids how we are breaking the cycles of our generational trauma. Kanisha shares the house she grew up in and then also finding her family later in life and the dynamic between the two. She dives into making the conscious decision to be the cycle breaker when it comes to her children and future generations, with a focus on both systemic trauma and generational poverty driven trauma. So if you're ready to have this conversation and break the cycle, pull up a seat and let's get unfiltered. Welcome to The Unfiltered Mom. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lewis. And this week we are talking about generational trauma. And each one of us in here has or is doing the work currently and really recognizing where trauma has been passed down from generations. And even, you know, many of us doing the work for generations before us and generations to come and I think this is a really important topic because I don't think we realize how much the environment our parents were raised in and their parents were raised in affect us moving into you know even from birth depending on how you were brought into the world can tremendously affect you and how you move forward in life and how your parents were raised or you know I think they say you were carried in your grandmother. Is that how it is, Brooke? Do you know the answer to this? I remember like reading that. Basically,
1: that your egg, like technically, yeah, yes. you're,
0: yeah. So, like everything, and I've done enough research on this, and, and maybe we can put some in the show notes too for people who like all the scientific stuff, but there's actually stuff out there that really talks about the stuff that's passed on from generation. And I will say one thing that I have really learned, my scarcity is one of those things that I think is the most prevalent for me. Uh, My mom had a lot of scarcity. And I think it, if, you know, obviously I can't pinpoint it, but, you know, obviously my grandparents were from the great depression. And so my mom carried a lot of that. And I actually, see a reiki practitioner and she's like Elizabeth what's going on with you and she'll she'll always say you know the scarcity that you're carrying right now because I don't I have a very abundant mindset but there are times when I'm like oh my god there's not enough money what are we going to do like we're going to lose our house we're going to all of these things and when I go to see her or when I really recognize it it's not actually mine to carry it's actually my mom's or her parents and it's actually really crazy when you take a minute to think about that. And I know it's different for all of us. And, you know, I know, Kanisha, we've had this conversation, being a woman of color, how different that looks with generational trauma. So do you kind of want to touch on that? Like what your experience and knowledge around generational trauma looks like? Yeah, for me,
2: there's like two different sides to it. So there's like the house I grew up in, and then there's the, like the side I didn't know and didn't find until like later in life, right? So, for the house i grew up in, like i've said this before on the podcast that i grew up in a abused and neglected household and like as i got older and was doing the work, you know, i i start i didn't even start therapy until like i don't know, like 7 or 8 years ago. And when when i began to do that work, i was learning and and reflecting back on that it was generational for my maternal side of the family. Like, if I think back about it, like, what my mother was born into was not the greatest. Like, what my grandmother was born into was not the greatest. Like, my mother didn't have the greatest, like, childhood growing up. And then, like, the siblings under my grandmother, her siblings, like, there's some... <laughs> things going on there that I probably shouldn't like you know expose but just like some things that had happened that was just like traumatic in that sense so like I really but still I have a problem sometimes with the like just saying hey it was generational that's all they knew so they treated you like shit like I think that there's a conscious Decision that you can still make because I've made it with my children, right? Like I've consciously made the decision. I like the term to be the cycle breaker. Mm, like I love it. oh, we'll have to link that one girl's sweatshirts in, in here, but I won one on her shop. I think you tagged me in it or something, and I won it. Yeah. And it's a it's a cycle breaker, and I love it so much. Um <laughs> but just thinking about like how i every day make that conscious decision to not want to put my children in the situation that maybe the couple of generations of my family have been through including myself now because i don't know my paternal side until meeting them recently like I don't know. Like, there's definitely generational trauma when it comes to being people of color. Like, my grandma was telling me stories when we went and visited the homestead about her and her family working on the cotton fields, and my grandfather was actually, became pretty wealthy and was... It would be my great-grandfather, excuse me, became pretty wealthy and like owned some land in such around the area, this area that my family calls their homestead in Louisiana. And my grandmother said, you know, one of the things I wanted to tell you, and she waited a while to tell me this, she said, one of the things I want to tell you is that like my daddy, so her great, my great-grandfather was hung by the KKK, And I was like, whoa. So like, it's like polar opposite type of trauma that has happened in my family. Like, so there's the systemic trauma on the black side. And then there's like the generational poverty driven trauma on the other side. So I'm cycle breaking it all. So (laughs) we're not having none of that. We have our I'm sure my kids will say that me yelling at them sometimes is traumatic, but no, n- not nearly as bad. But I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts.
0: I do want to say something really quick because you touched on it about the financial, the poverty piece. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of mentioned for myself, like the scarcity side of my mom or my parents kind of bleeding into me because I wouldn't know any different. I remember my dad who's like, money doesn't grow on trees, Elizabeth, and then witnessing. Mm-hmm how his parents managed and handled money and how much that's like passed on from generation to generation to generation because they don't know and i i think it's a really interesting topic for people to digest to like be curious about where they come from like what was it like for their parents what was it like for their grandparents you know cuz when i think about it if our parents you know most of our grandparents would have gone through the great depression right so wasn't that if you think about that, it's pretty crazy. So no wonder we feel and think the way that we do. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know, Brooke, if you what you guys think, but I I, I do think about that stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it, it makes sense to have an understanding of maybe why they made certain decisions or what their life was like. I think our kids are gonna have that same journey when they think about us you know, some of us becoming parents during the pandemic and all those things and what that looks like and how that influenced, right? I mean, I know the pandemic influenced certain parenting decisions for me, uh, having a baby in 2020, I did things really differently than when I had Deacon, you know, or even now like having Indy, it's just so drastically different from when justice was a baby. So I love that point of giving context, you know, but kind of like Kanisha said, not using that as an excuse for the behavior either. I think that's um, a really good line to separate of having maybe some sort of understanding, even some empathy as to why parents, grandparents made the decisions or the choices or felt you know they didn't have any choices to make while still understanding, okay, well, you can choose to do things differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the, the part about choice. I think it makes it so different, but I do, I guess I do kind of have a question though. If, if it's all, you know, like this is where I get so caught, right? So like if somebody is raised a certain way, so if they witness their parent do something and maybe their parent witnessed their grandparent, it's something that's continuously passed down and nobody's teaching them the right way. I just, I think this is the part that always gets me is we have resources. Many of us have resources to do better or be better. What about people that aren't or don't have the resources to know better that what they're doing is wrong? So I, and And I agree with you. We all have choice. I'm a huge, I love that part. And also asking the question of what about the people that don't have good examples or resources to do better?
2: And, you know, that's some of the work that I do, right? So I work in um, foster care and adoption and, and CPS and do that child welfare type of work. And, you know, some years ago when I was working directly with families, this is something I saw all the time, right? Like they would have some... Interaction with someone from the system. And, you know, some folks ended up with their children removed from their home, and now they have these things that they have to accomplish to be able to be reunited with their children. And there's things on both sides to that. Like I advocating for the dismantling of some of the things going on on the system side because there are things that get put in place that are. Straight up unattainable for families. Like, for example, say a parent, we want the parent to get a job and then we want them to show up to parenting time three times a week and we want them to drug test however many times a week, but they don't have a car. Like, what are we doing that we want them to do all these things and we're saying, well, we can't reunify you with your kids because you're not going to your parenting time, you're not going to your job, you're not showing up from your drug testing, but What are we doing to help you with the transportation part, which is like a huge barrier, right? So just like things like that that are happening, I would see all the time. And I saw generational all the time. Like sometimes families that had interactions with folks from the child welfare system, like when they were younger. Their families had interaction with folks from the child welfare system. I mean, I definitely know sometimes it's substance abuse related. Sometimes it's severe mental health related, things like that. But there's also that point that if, if they do have the right resources, they do are able to get into therapy and have that person talk to her on the right medication so their chemical imbalance can come back into sync, things like that. Then they're able to make that decision to be able to go and do the things that they have to do to be reunited so a little bit of both ways that I've seen like in my work but for my personal family I'm always like
1: why didn't they just do what they need to do (laughs) I think that's where we're seeing a big shift with our generation of being parents because we you know I've in and out of therapy, myself personally. Like, I'm undoing my things from childhood. So, in hopes, like I don't pass on that to my kids, you know, where I can see the decisions that my parents made were because they didn't do their own work in the midst of rearing their own children, um, or my dad wasn't in the picture growing up. It, it's just, I hear what you're saying, Elizabeth, because I think we do have more opportunities now and more access to resources, right? I mean, you can follow therapists and experts on social media and get little tidbits that way. Therapy is not as stigmatized as it was or, and it's way more accessible now with virtual and telehealth and so I get it. And you know, speaking from a, a personal place too. It's like, well, I found different ways or or ways to do things differently or make little changes or tweak things you know why why couldn't they do that too
0: yeah and i think my question really comes from from a place of the listener who's like i've done all of these things or maybe i didn't have the resources or my parents and then from the place of you know like playing both sides to get both perspectives because i can see both where i look at people who are still in underprivileged communities and things like that. And when, you know, working at Sinai Grace, working at the hospital there, they don't see another way out. Like no matter what you would say, you know, girls coming in at 16 with multiple babies. And I was like, you know, there's another way, but they don't see it that way. Their mother had multiple babies before she was 18 and then her mother did. And so you see that over and over and you think that's the way that things are supposed to be, or for myself, you know, my dad was verbally abusive to my mom and I've actually witnessed that within, you know, a family member towards her husband, somebody very close to me. And it's interesting because I see it passed from person to person. And because I do my own work, it's an active decision for me, but there's certain things that I get caught in that I know my mom had, you know, like, well i'll just take care of myself i'll just do this myself and i look at my grandma and she was so tough and so well I, we can take care of ourselves and i see how that's just passed on from person to person it's so detrimental because then we get caught in this continued cycle of not being able to rely on other people because that's what we witnessed my mom didn't have a lot of friends and she always felt abandoned and so i was like oh my gosh no wonder i feel like people are always going to leave or you know my my mom and dad always witnessing them fighting, thinking, you know, that that was just how it was like you're in a marriage and that's how it is. And then realizing that that's not the case, you know, it's an active decision to be with my partner, but my mom thought that was the only option. So she stayed with a man and remarried him because that's what she thought that that's, that's the only thing she knew. And now looking back and knowing what I know about my grandparents. Just, I think as parents, we do such a good job of hiding things from our children or we think we do. And then we never are really given context into why we feel the way that we do for certain things. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I I feel like this is such a large part of my job. And I always have to remind clients, whether it's tension with their partner or some sort of interaction tension with their children, that there's so many layers happening in that moment, right? So let's say a mom feels really guilty for yelling at her children. She's like, why would I do that? I remember getting yelled at when I was a child and how that felt. And I promised myself I would never do that to my own children, right? I'm like, okay, well, let's pause and think about what's going on in that scenario. It's so layered. So let's just pause for just one second. So you're feeling overwhelmed. You are having this tension with your child and you don't know how to respond, right? And so you go into this knee-jerk reaction of what you knew growing up of yelling because that that feels like the only way you can get your child to listen in that moment. Immediately, there's like so much shame and guilt because that's not how you want to treat your child and you know how they feel in that moment because you've been there, but you have to understand you are trying to undo a style of parenting and you were never shown a different way. That was your example of parenting. You're trying to do something different, but you've never been shown that example before. So you're trying to get out of this cycle while moving forward in a totally different direction that you have no experience with. You're going to fumble, right? So let's think about the moments after your parents yelled at you. What did they do? Well, they just kept going on. Right. Okay. So, how can we change that dynamic? Are, are you going to your child after the fact? Are you trying to repair? Are you apologizing? Are you explaining? Oh, I had really big emotions and I should not have responded that way. It doesn't matter how frustrated I am. I should not have yelled. Okay. You're already breaking that cycle, right? Because now you're having a conversation with your child. You're making the repair. Yes. Do we want to get to the point where you don't yell? Cool. Absolutely. But that's such a process. It's not instantaneous because you're undoing and relearning all in this one emotion filled moment. It's really hard. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit You know, when we are trying to undo those things or parent different or have a different type of marriage. I tell people all the time when they, they feel really guilty about arguing in front of their kids. So I'm like, okay, so it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen the most important part is that you also repair in front of your kids. What you shouldn't do is have that argument then like, oh, we got to take this to the bedroom and then your children have no idea. They see the conflict, they understand that people argue but then they don't know how an apology works, what it looks like to come back mm. together because you felt that guilt and shame took up behind the bedroom door and then you come out all happy and they're like, what just happened? You have to give them the beginning, middle and end of the story. Sure, are there some things that children shouldn't see or hear. Yes, absolutely. But I'm talking like, oh, you burnt dinner, or you didn't do the laundry like I asked you to and yeah. those types of things to really have that conversation or even come back and tell your kids like, we screwed up and we apologized and this is how we are moving forward and show them that repair and involve them in it too. That's yeah. how we break cycles. Oh my gosh,
2: you're totally reminding me of uh when Victor He's 11 now. He was three years old. And I was so frustrated. Like, my mental health wasn't in check. I was young. I think I was like 26 or 25 or something. So, like, a young parent. And, like, still in that mindset of trying to break those generational cycles a little bit. But I would yell like a lot, like, because I was so frustrated. And, One time ever, I slapped him and I instantly regretted it. Like I broke down, I was crying and he just like, he didn't like, it wasn't like hard enough to hurt, but like hard enough for him to be like, what the fuck just happened? And sort of stare at you like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I instantly, I was like, "That's something that I never, ever, ever wanted to do. I never wanted to hit my kids because, you know, I got more than hitting." And my husband, and I had always had that conversation. Like, we did not want to ever like hit them, unless there was like danger. Someone's running out into the street, and they're like a little SWAT or something. But like, no, like I didn't. No, that was not my thing. And when I felt instant regret and crying, and. I still feel regret about that. Like I've never laid a hand on anyone ever again. That's just not my thing. Like it's not illegal. Let me put this out there, yo. It's not illegal <laughs> to spank your children. But just like it's not a positive thing that's going to change behavior either. And I don't know the right word right now, Brooke, you probably do. But it's, it's not going to change their behavior. It's like a scare tactic and, and it doesn't do anything but instant regret. And and what gets me is that's exactly what I thought about when you were just talking, Brooke. And then I remember, I don't know, like a year or so ago, Victor was like, I've never talked about it again. He was like, mom, remember that one time you smacked me? I was like, (laughs) instant like heart shatters because I was like, well, you remember and now you have that distinct memory of that one time when you were three. And I slapped you. So,
0: oh, I just want to validate you. And my mom used to literally get us in the pain point right here and drop us to the ground if we talked back to her. Like, she would literally dig right in, drop us to the ground in grocery stores, you guys. Like, this was no joke. And I will tell you that probably about, three years ago, Harper was talking back to me. So, oh my gosh, it just something inside of me just went off. And I, same as you, swore I would never do it because my mom, you know, was just like, it was always, she was just trying to scare the hell out of us. And I remember her doing that and I did it to Harper. And I was like, you will not talk to me like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, who have I become? And I've apologized to her so many times, but she still brings it up. And it's just like, That's what I witnessed from my mom and also the whole respect thing. Like you will respect me. I am the adult I have so many issues with because it's like we also have to respect our children. You know, I I watch all the like child psychologists and things like that and parenting people. And they're like, you demand respect because you're an adult, but you don't respect your children let's take a minute and think about that. You know, it's like, it's always, I'm the adult. That's why you don't talk to me. Cause I'm the adult. That's, you know, this or that. And it's like, but we don't have enough respect for our children to not talk to them disrespectfully.
1: But also too, that that style of parenting is so fear-based. And so now yeah. we're not doing that anymore. But that is how our parents controlled us. So then when we wonder why our kids feel so out of control, well, we're not we're not scaring the shit out of them anymore. So like I'm saying, like it's yeah. so I think we're so hard on ourselves when we are trying to do things differently because we don't know how else to do it but we're trying really hard and then we're amazed when there's different results.
0: It's like, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because there was that one way, like our parents only knew this one way. Like my husband was raised in a very militant home like he would get spanked, he would you were to be seen and not heard. And that was passed down from generation to generation, like his grandparents and their grandparents, like kids are to be seen and not heard. And you know, it's so interesting. We were over there last night and my mother-in-law was like, don't jump, don't do this because the neighbors are next door. I'm like, I pay for this place. Like, what do you mean? Don't be loud. Even when I noticed it, when we were in Alaska, and the kids would be loud and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, don't be loud! And I'm just like, oh my gosh, they are kids. But because we're raised to believe that that kids shouldn't be loud, that we should, you know, be under control and all of this stuff, that is what we do to our kids now. And it's so hard. My husband and I, what do we? What do people fight about the most? Kids, money, sex, right? And so, kids, how? Three the big three <laughs> and how my husband and I parent, my husband's gotten so much better, but my husband does his own work and yeah. recognizes how he was raised is not how he wants to raise his children. And, you know, it, it's so interesting when you actually think about it, how different you want to parent your children and raise your children when you're actually in the throes of it and realize there's another way to do it. But I notice a difference between my 11 year old my eight-year-old and my five-year-old because I've learned a lot and I'm yeah, constantly yeah. growing, and I'm yep. always like, "Man, I did a disservice to her." Just, but I can't change that. What I can do is apologize. I can admit when I'm wrong. I can do all the things that my mom would never. She would never apologize. But that's what's yeah. most. That's what's most impactful. You know, I
1: think a lot of people are trying to. Don't be perfect. Right. They're like, Oh, I'm in therapy. I don't want my kids here talking about me when they're, you know, an adult. And I'm like, well, newsflash, they probably will
0: because they
1: they're their (laughs) own human with their own perspective and feelings. And, you know, they're going to have a different view on things and you're not going to meet their needs a hundred percent of the time. And you're not going to always get it right. The biggest difference is that you are approachable, that they can come and say something to you and that you would apologize and try to do better and forge a relationship with them. That's the biggest change. That's the biggest way to break a cycle. It's not to be perfect. It's not to figure out this best way of parenting. It's to create a relationship where there's open communication and that you are open to receiving
0: feedback. That's the biggest shift. Kenesha, have you read Carrie Washington's book yet or listened to it? No, it's on the shelf behind me waiting. Only you guys, this whole topic. Brooke, have you read it or listened to it? Kerry? No,
1: I haven't. Not yet. I have it on Audible, but I haven't started
0: it yet. So for everybody listening, it, I don't care if you like reading a book in your hand, Audible, hearing the author share her own story is so powerful but a lot of this she talks about and some of the most memorable things that I took away from the book first I cried the whole entire book but she talks about how we as parents shelter or think we're doing a service you know Brooke you brought it up where her parents would fight like all out fight and her mom was so unhappy but the next day they just carry on like life is amazing we love each other we just That's we're so, so in love yeah and she talks about that and she talks about a situation with her dad That for 10 years, they dealt with this. They kept it a secret. And finally, her dad came to her and told her. And she said that he said, I need you to give this character testimony because, you know, otherwise, I'm going to go to to jail. And she gets on the phone with the lawyer. And this lawyer knew everything about her. And she's like, I Uh know nothing about you. This man who knows 10 years of my life and I've never heard of you. I've never met you. That I've never even heard, I've never even knew what was going on. And I think that's the part, right, is we try so hard to shelter our children from money issues. Like my parents acted like, my dad might've said that, but my dad acted like money grew on trees. He literally put money out like it was payday every day. And so of course, when I'm growing up, I'm thinking, Well, shoot, if the baby girl don't have scarcity mindset. She's just that stuff is everywhere. I money, I could find it. And whereas my mom was like the, you know, over here, oh God, we don't have the money. And so I feel, but they never talked about it, right? They never told me they went through bankruptcy. They would fight. My mom would lock herself in the bedroom. You know, it was this constant thing and it was never a conversation. So I always think to myself, why do I have this idea that I have to take care of everything myself? My husband and I fight, and I'm like, well, I don't need you. I can take care of myself. I, I Only I can take care of me, you know, all of this stuff instead of really reach. I don't want to take care of myself, okay? I just want to say that out loud. Well, if you're listening, <laughs> I, know I want to be taken care of. And so... That's ridiculous. We all <laughs> do. I just... But but we put on this facade because we don't know mm-hmm. any different, right? Is we yeah. maybe witness our parents taking care of themselves. I have something about that too. Go ahead, Brooke. I was going to say just real quick.
1: Speaking of yeah. books and generational trauma, if you haven't read Brittany's new book, oh, whoo- I haven't read it yet. Oh, really? I, haven't read it yet. So I finished it in like. A day. It's so good. And it talks about like why she was treated the way she was by her father. And it's because of how he was raised and it. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I've heard some amazing things about it.
0: Okay, I'll. Yeah. I love memoirs. I love people's stories. Like, (laughs) I know we've talked about Viola Davis's book. Like hers is very, in in this generational trauma. And also, and I know, Kanisha, I've talked to you. I've asked you this question because, you know, the forgiveness piece in our Mm -hmm. parents. Like, it is in death that I forgive my parents. But that work did not happen. I did not forgive them until I was doing my own work and was confronted with my own stuff to recognize that my parents did the best that they could with the information they had, even up until the day my mom died. She tried so hard to take care of my dad and I couldn't wrap my head around that because it wasn't good enough to me. And so You know, it's just, it's stuff like that that I'm recognizing. And, you know, a lot of the work that I do with Retreat to Reclaim is because my mom didn't get to do this work. She, you know, in any visualization I do, any, anything that I do, she comes to me in every single one. And it's like, do the work because I couldn't. Like, we get to change that for our kids. We, you know, I remember saying to one of my one-to-ones and some of the girls in Retreat to Reclaim is... Do you want, you know, in women who are in marriages where they don't touch each other, they don't hug in front of their kids, they don't kiss, or they're not emotional. Do you want your kids, your girl and your, your daughters and your sons growing up thinking marriage is that? Or do you want yeah. to see them? Do you want them to see you loving your husband or your partner or whomever, loving them, holding their hand, touching them? You know, I know that's not everybody's thing. To be touched. And also, I think it's so important for our kids to witness because let me tell you, my dad and mom, I don't think I really ever saw them hug or kiss. My dad, I didn't actually hug until he was on his deathbed. It was just awkward. We go to mm-hmm. hug and it'd be like this. Yeah, dad, like, hey, like it wasn't, he didn't even say, I love you until he was dying. I think it was maybe two weeks until he, like, right before he died, like the words, I love you. Weren't there, but he didn't witness that his mother wasn't actively, his father wasn't actively saying, I love you, Rick. My, you know, like it's, it's all of these things that our kids don't witness. And like my son would be like, get a room. You know, my husband and I will hug and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like this big joke. And it's a- honestly crazy because if my husband and I raise our voices at all, my kids are like, are you going to get a divorce? Well, so and so's parents divorced. And he says his parents yell all the time at each other. And I was like, Nolan. We literally were passionate about what we were talking about. Nobody's mad at each other. Like, but we're not having these conversations with our kids and normalizing the fact it's okay to fight, but to have good conflict resolution skills. Right. Like it is in friendships. Yeah. You know, like it is in relationships. When it is when you have a boss or coworkers, how important it is to be able to communicate clearly with the people that you love and then be able to have... Confrontation is good. I wish more kids understood this. Confrontation is good. Confrontation builds character. is character building. It helps with conflict resolution. There's a lot of things that confirmation can do, builds character. That's what I meant. I just think we don't do it enough and we don't let our kids know it's normal and it's okay to disagree and be themselves and I have a lot of thoughts on this, actually, that I just realized as I'm talking. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, you were talking about the book and some of those things. it, It brought up a couple of things for me between what you said and then what Brooke said. And one of the things from, like, what you were saying and what Brooke was saying that came up is, like, about the touch and being, like, lovey-dovey with your partner or whatever, like, in front of your kids. So it's interesting because I didn't realize this till like, later, right? And we even had, like, this episode on sex, right? And I still think that I didn't divulge enough information that I'm going to share now. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Drum roll, please. So, no, so touch has never been my love language. And I'm pretty sure it's because of like the way that I was like raised. Like I don't, I want no, nothing to do with it. And it's not really my husband's either, but like, I feel like in my mid thirties, like I've had like almost like this awakening of, I just like crave that. I just want to feel like touched or hugged or loved or whatever um, does it yeah but mm-hmm. like 50 shades style almost
0: oh. <laughs> okay part two sex 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 or <laughs> maybe coming at you. We'll talk
2: about that later. But like, it's just really interesting. And I voiced it because I was like, I don't know what like light clicked in me or what like, but I was like, I just like sort of like this. <laughs> like, and it's also like, I've done all this training and capacity building around like, like love and especially love and like the LGBTQIA plus community and things of that sort. And like these labels that we put on people. And mm. I was like, even like the last year, I'm like, you know, like I love everybody. I love every like I've found men attractive. I've found women attractive. Mm-hmm. And I told my husband, I was like, was you in that, But um like I've just it's like 35 hey but I don't know. But like maybe it's like why do you have to only like love one particular type of person? Why can't you just love everyone and it'd be okay?
0: Honestly, I just recently learned of someone that said they're bisexual and they, they stated, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to explore that, but the fact that they voiced that, mm-hmm. I don't think this is as abnormal, but I think we mm-hmm. are taught, you know, it's actually interesting. I met this guy and this is, this is, I, I was really enjoying this conversation with this guy. Then he says to me, he's, he's probably 80 years old. He says, yeah, you know what the state of the way the world's going. And I was like, where's this going? Cause we were literally talking about farming and me getting raw milk and chickens. And where's this going? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you know, because I had this guy working for me, but he wasn't a guy. Okay. And he goes, and well, don't you think that her parents should have done a better job? I was like, oh, mm, okay. I know where this is going. And so I was just like, thank you so much, sir. Like I was so great talking to you because, (laughs) and here's the thing. My opinion was never, he, that this man is 80 years old, years and years. And I think he was from some part of Russia. He was telling me his story, like six generations of farmers. And it was just, is this whole thing? But the point is, is, you know, it's passed down. It's here comes, let's bring in religion, let's bring in what our parents mm-hmm. thought was right. Let's bring in all of these different layers. But now people are like awake and they're like, why does it just have to be this way? Why do I just have to choose this spurt Polygamy. I'm gonna tell you what, when my girlfriend, when I was driving down the street and she told me that she and her husband are poly, I was like, say what? That is a thing. I want to know more. (laughs) That population is
1: is quite larger than anyone thinks.
0: I honestly, it was the first time I had ever heard somebody say that to me. It's not something that I hear and I was instantly intrigued. She goes, You knew that, right? Like like I knew. And I was like, (laughs) no, but I have a lot of questions. And I'm just really curious because I can't imagine sharing my husband.
1: You mean polyamorous, right? Like not yeah. like like, le- like not yeah. marrying more than one person. Yeah, okay. no polyamory. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, did I say polygamy? Sorry, guys. Ugh. No, I I think got so my friends poly- listening, polyamorous. <laughs> polyamorous. Yeah, like open just- relationship type stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: monogamous yeah.
0: relationship. Yeah, yeah, and I, like this is probably like a whole nother, obviously conversation, but. I would love to have people on that like what led them to that how they got there because like we've talked about this this popu- Yes, this population is so much bigger like you said, Brooke, than we think and I I think I heard a statistic of what it is here in Detroit. It's, you know, like that whole community and not that I want to share my husband. I'm going to be really clear. I do not want my husband putting his mm-mm anywhere else. I don't want any. Mm-mm. No. Okay. But I am genuinely curious and I'm curious because I think it's this form of self-expression that people think about, but are so scared to explore. And so this person that shared that she's bisexual, I was just so proud of her for coming out and saying that because Think of generations of, depending on how your parents were raised, what their religion is now or currently, or the people you surround yourself with, or they're not going to be as forgiving or open to it. And so there's just all of these pieces. So you just bringing that up, Kanisha, I think is so interesting, right? Because I I would tell you what, Kanisha, you think 35 is crazy. Wait till you hit 40 and you're like, give me all that sex. Like you're just like, as my husband had to tell me the other day, he's like, so, uh, I heard what you said about the toilet paper on the episode dear and I was like are you upset about it it's true like do you want me to lie? <laughs> David is the unfiltered mom so we'll be yeah. bringing that episode back at you. by it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think it's really like I
2: don't know. I I don't think that I have a like I don't want to label anything cuz I don't know. Yeah, I That's where I'm at that. right now. But so the other point that you were speaking about I really wanted to touch on real quick was the forgiveness part. Yeah. Because when we we're talking about the forgiveness part, like I've been estranged from my mother for eleven, 11-ish years. And, but like, it took a lot, there's a lot of resistance and therapy and a lot of like, I'll for, I always said, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget, like things like that. And I think I thought it was like last year, maybe it was early this year. It was ju- It was January of this year at Retreat to reclaim one day that I finally had like forgiven her because I had all this trauma I went through that, you know, I mentioned before, like the couple of months before with like the abortion and things like that, that I was like, okay, there's just so much in my life that I need to just get past this and forgive. And I did. Now, does it mean that I wanted like a relationship? No, not necessarily. But I do have like very limited contact and I still have boundaries. Like there's no contact with my kids and, and like, I'm not going to tell you where I live or like things like that. But a couple of weeks ago, my sister was here and and was staying at her house and I had to go pick my sister up and I had to make the decision. Like, was I going to stay in the car and wait, or was I going to go in and say something? And I went in and said one word. I said, hi. (laughs) It was very awkward. And just like seeing her for the first time in 11 years, a lot of feelings came back, right? Still forgiven. But like, I know, and my sister, we have this conversation all the time. Like, I know a lot of it has to do with like generational, it has to do with mental health, like where she's at right now and why she's doing what she's doing. So. I'm trying to get past that part but I was like it took 11 years but I said hi
0: <laughs> I think that's pretty powerful though, Kanisha. like I I mm-hmm. think that you don't have to forgive and have this beautiful relationship with her you get to forgive and just let it be what it is you know knowing that she won't be that to you right and I I I think back to my own mom is her mental health issues affected me my whole entire life. And I feel like my mom always was the victim and everything. And, and I, I had a lot of resentment towards her. And when I say forgiveness really happened in death was she just didn't have the resources. Nobody was there to support her. Like I am so blessed to be surrounded by the women that I am on a constant basis. Like I, I have women always wanting to pour into me. I, I am so grateful for that because my mom did not have that. My grandmother didn't have good relationships with other women. So that's what my mom, my mom had one friend that I ever remember, one single friend. And relationships, like this was my choice. Relationships are really, really important to me to build and create a foundation and really pour into women. But I think my mom just didn't have the tools or the resources or know how to do that you know, and that's what she witnessed in her, her mother. And to go into like hermit status, like when things weren't good was like, you go in, you don't trust anyone. You just do your thing. And I think that we don't always have to forgive them and carry on like nothing happened. We get to forgive them and just let it be what it is. And I think that's hard.
1: You've got to define what forgiveness means to you. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that word. And oftentimes I will give another word of just acceptance, not, Mm. not saying that the behavior or the decisions were okay, but just accepting that that person was where they were at. The thing happened, right? You can't go back and unchain and change it, but acceptance is really okay. Like I'm settled with the fact that this happened, and I'm not going to let it prevent me from moving forward any longer.
0: Mm. Ooh, I feel like that was so good. Like the acceptance piece, Kenesha, what do you think?
2: Yeah, that's that was the one of the hardest parts for me, I'm, and a lot of work with my therapist went into that. A lot of self work on retreat to reclaim went into that. A lot of self work, just like with telling myself that it was okay to accept, like. Sometimes you have the feelings like on the other side, like, are they going to be accepting? Like sometimes the people on the other side are not accepting of your boundaries or they're not accepted that you want to do limited contact or they're not accepting that you just want to have a particular kind of relationship with them. And it's probably feels like one sided to them, which it is because, you know, you set your boundaries. So, yeah, that's just sort of my feelings on it right now. It's hard. It's hard work.
0: Okay. So there's obviously so many more places that we can go with generational trauma. And honestly, I think it deserves another episode because there is so much to talk about. And I think Kenesha needs to listen to Carrie Washington's book, Thicker Than Water. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think we all should. Maybe that's something, you know, if you guys take anything away, there's obviously a ton of takeaways in here. But if you can take away listening to that book, hearing the perspective of different women, Viola Davis's book's amazing, that Carrie Washington's, and Britney's is apparently a thriller. And I'm excited actually to listen to Brittany's. So We'll put all of this in our show notes, but thank you guys again for being here another week. Isn't it so crazy? We're heading into the holidays. Like I literally can't even believe it, but we will be here with you already. I know. (laughs) Don't worry guys. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be here with you and you know, don't forget to pop into our DMS. If you have any questions, if anything resonated with you, if you have more, you want to share or more you want to hear because that's the thing we want to hear from you and make sure the content we're putting out is exactly what you want to hear. Until next week, we will see you later and hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye.